is that this is their body responding to betrayal. These systems are in their body. They're wired this way. And this is actually a normal response to the dilemma of having your primary attachment figure betray you and your primary attachment figure become dangerous. This is the normal response, that roller coaster that you're experiencing and the emotional ride that you are on. There's nothing wrong with you. This is just what happens after betrayal. You're listening to Mason Noise Podcast, episode number 576 with guest Michelle Mays. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Happy New Year, even though we're well into January. I am just so glad that you're here. I'm excited about today's guest. It was a really great conversation, and it was a listener request. Michelle Mays is here talking about betrayal in romantic relationships. And we're going to dive into there in just a second. But I wanted to tell you, I just finished up with another client. And so that means I have another opening for private coaching. So if you think that's for you, head on over to andreaowen.com slash links. And that's where you'll see which link to click on to check out who my ideal client is. What can we do in coaching? What? How much does it cost? How much? How long does it take? All of those questions that you might wonder about. And then there's a button on there to fill out an application. That application comes directly to me. No one else sees it except me. So andreaowen.com slash links. And let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. Michelle Mays is a licensed professional counselor and expert in treating sexual betrayal and trauma. She is the author of the new book, The Betrayal Bind, How to Heal When the Person You Love the Most Has Hurt You the Worst. And she is the founder of the Center for Relational Recovery in Northern Virginia. Michelle is a certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor. She was trained by Pia Melody in the post-induction therapy model for treating developmental trauma and is currently completing her PhD in clinical sexology. So without further ado, here is Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. And before we jump in, I did not know, I was reading your bio before you you came on. I didn't know that you could get a PhD in clinical sexology. Yes, you can. (laughs) It sounds amazing. But I, I, I love that. And I want to, well, first say that this is a listener request. I sent out a survey in the beginning mm-hmm. of 2023, and I'm kind of getting through some of the topics that people said they specifically wanted these kind of experts on. And this one was around how to recover from the betrayal of, of infidelity. And and I, and I do want to focus on solution in, the, in this podcast. But before we get to that, can mm-hmm. we like, let's start from the very beginning, because I feel like people have different definitions of cheating. And I also think like, this is probably a conversation couples should have, like when they decide to yes. be monogamous, 100%, 100%, which I have never had. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you define cheating and what makes sexual betrayal so devastating and problematic in relationships? So the way that I define cheating is that it is the breaking of sexual agreements in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So it really doesn't matter if you're in a monogamous relationship, uh, an open relationship, a polyamorous relationship, or some other configuration. Mm -hmm. Whatever relationship you're in, it's the breaking of the sexual agreements within that relationship. And like you said, most people don't make those explicit often. Mm -hmm. They don't actually have the conversations about them and um, can be surprised when things differ or go south in a way that they didn't expect. So that's the definition. Is that what makes sense for you? Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've seen that question. Like there's a I saw some like couples card game or something and it was like mm-hmm. just a lot of those like big deep questions and that that was one of them that I saw and I remember thinking to myself like oh that would definitely be a good conversation to have because some people wouldn't consider even just flirting in their 
uh, like social media DMs with someone mm-hmm. cheating and, and another person might. And I also like that you said that even in, you know, non-traditional open or non-monogamous relationships, there can be cheating because I think that there's a myth that it's like a free-for-all in the relationship. But the more no, I look into it, it's something I'm interested in when I when I start dating again. Yeah, there's agreements that need to be made ahead of time and those can be broken. Yeah. And in my experience, folks who are in open or polyamorous relationships, when there is cheating, it's just as devastating for them mm-hmm. as for folks who are in monogamous relationships. It really yeah. doesn't shift. And you actually have to have a higher level of trust to be in that that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. You have to have a higher level of trust in your partner. A lot of times I also see people think that opening up their relationship is actually an answer to cheating. Yeah. And that's never ever the case. Mm-hmm. If there's cheating, there's and you open the relationship, there's just going to be more breaking of those agreements as well. When someone thinks that that's the solution and they go in that direction that it wasn't actually the having sex with other people that was the problem, it was the betrayal that was the problem that needs to be addressed. Yes. And what is the pull to break the sexual agreements for the person who is cheating? Like, what's that really about for them? Okay. You know, what's going on for them? And why is that? Why is that behavior surfacing for them? Do you find that? And I want to, I wanted to um, ask this question solely from a place of, of heterosexual monogamous relationships. Do you find that it's, because I have experience with that. My first marriage, my husband had an affair with our neighbor and actually ended up getting Mm. her pregnant, which was a whole other level of betrayal because we were about to start a family ourselves and we'd been together for a long time. And I found, and I remember telling him this, like when it first all came out and we were arguing about it and I said, I'm less upset that you fucked her, but that you fell in love with her. Because he told me that, that he felt, he's like, I never meant mm-hmm. to fall in love with her. I think he was trying to make me feel better. Like he was trying, like he was trying to say like, I really only went across the street to get laid. And I was like, that doesn't make me feel any better. If in fact, it makes me feel worse. So do you find that that's the case in heterosexual relationships where the woman feels more betrayed about the emotional connection and a man might feel more betrayed if his wife had sex with someone else? Is that true? It's definitely true that when there is that emotional piece that comes on board, that the betrayal is deepened. Mm-hmm. that it feels deeper. So I work with a lot of folks who are dealing with compulsive sexual behavior. So they're dealing with like partners with a 30-year history and a whole like poo-poo platter of behaviors. Oh. And it's always interesting to me that you could have somebody who spent, you know, $200,000 on sex workers mm-hmm. and has a porn addiction and and sprinkled in the mix of that, there were three affairs. And it's the affairs that bother them. Mm-hmm. It's the relationship that the person went back to over and over again, or the relationship where there was an emotional connection that really are a sticking point for people. Yeah. So okay. that emotional connection is a big, big betrayal for people mm-hmm. to get over. Yeah. And I, I remember it was yeah. for me too. And so you use a term called the betrayal bind. Can you tell us what that is? So the betrayal bind is a term that I came up with to really capture what happens when we experience betrayal at the hands of our most significant other. So if we just kind of take a detour for a minute and talk about attachment Mm -hmm. and attachment theory. So us for adults, we still have all the same attachment needs that we had as children. We don't outgrow those. And in our adult lives, that person, our primary person in the world, our primary bond and Um, place of security is to our partner. Mm -hmm. So that's our primary attachment. And when there's betrayal in your romantic relationship, what happens is that the person who you actually depend on to help you manage life's difficulties and stressors becomes the difficulty and the stressor. Mm -hmm. So they become the problem. And that means that you don't have a good solution because you don't have a good way to go to them for comfort and help and support when they're the one that have actually cheated on you and created all the emotional distress that you've had. So it puts you in a massive bind. Mm -hmm. And um, we can talk about that more if you want to in terms of just what happens in our threat response system and our attachment system and how it impacts our behavior. But for most betrayed partners, they find themselves in this dilemma of, you're still my person in the world 
and now you're also my pro- the the source of danger and my pro- and the problem here in this relationship. So yeah, I would love to hear a little bit further into that because I know that the people listening are interested in attachment styles mm-hmm. and so yes, please say more. Mm-hmm. Um okay, well so typically in life in normal life our attachment system and our threat response system sync up really really well. And so usually our attachment system, what our attachment system does inside of us is it prompts us to reach for relational connection when we feel stress. Which is a good, healthy thing, right? Like I'm always telling people like reach out for help from the people yeah, you trust. This is not codependent. Yes. Yes, yes. This is not codependent, okay. right? I just want to clarify. <laughs> this is this is a this is how we're wired. Mm-hmm. This is hardwiring, which is the best thing that helps us calm our system down is connection with another human who also has a good, calm nervous system. Mm-hmm. So it's our best tool for helping ourselves manage stress. So that's what our attachment system does. And people don't always realize that that's its its purpose is to help us reach for connection when we're experiencing stress. So usually when our threat response system fires off and says, hey, this is hard, challenging, dangerous, our attachment systems, yeah, it is. Call your partner, text your partner, reach for connection because that's how you're going to get through this moment. And so usually those systems sync up really, really well for us. In betrayal, what happens is now your partner has cheated on you, lied to you, a whole host of things that you're in the middle of discovering, and your threat response system says, they are dangerous, get the heck away from them. Fight, flee, in some way, you got to manage that danger. Mm -hmm. But your attachment system is still saying, hey, they're your person. Go toward them. Mm-hmm. Go tell them how upset you are. Go tell them how much distress you're in. And so both systems fire, and these are instinctual systems inside of us. They're not like things we think about. So they're instinctual and they both fire. And then what happens for betrayed partners is they feel like they're going nuts Yeah, because they feel like, oh my gosh, you're the person that betrayed me, but I still want to like get in bed and have you hold me while I cry. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to call the divorce lawyer because I never want to see your ass again. Mm-hmm. And then that afternoon, they're like, I think we should do couples counseling. <laughs> yeah, it's a roller coaster. So they're all over the place with trying to manage what's happening. And what they, what I think is so helpful for people to understand is that this is their body responding to betrayal. These systems are in their body they're wired this way. And this is actually a normal response to the dilemma of having your primary attachment figure betray you mm-hmm. and your primary attachment figure become dangerous. This is the normal response, that roller coaster that you're experiencing and the emotional ride <laughs> that you are on. There's nothing wrong with you. This is just what happens after betrayal. Thank you for laying that out and normalizing it because you know, I'm thinking back to my own experience and I'm thinking about the listeners. What happened to me was I was also inundated with my friends, mostly my friends and well-meaning like, fuck that guy. How could he do that? You're so much better mm-hmm. off. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of at least, you know, at least you didn't have kids with him. At least you're still young enough where you can move on and still find someone else and ha- have kids and so I would, you know, as I nodded my head to all of that, like, yeah, they're right. They're right. But why do I still want to stay married to him given the circumstances? Why would yes. I? And I knew and yeah. I was so, and I would never have admitted it at the time. But if he had come back, in my case, he, you know, he, he wanted to leave. Like he was leaving me for mm-hmm. her. And I, you know, the, the choice had been made for me. But if he, if he would have come crawling back, which he eventually did a, a long time afterwards, but when it didn't work out with her, but at the time, like if he would have come back and said, I'm so sorry, you know, can, can we raise this kid together? Can you be the stepmother to this child, this other child? I would have said yes. Big ask, right? I would have Mm, said yes. That would be a big ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're not unusual in that. I mean, I think you've got two things going on in what you said. One, everybody has an opinion. Yeah. And it's super hard as a betrayed partner to manage everybody else's opinions. Because I always ask this question in our coaching program, like before you experience betrayal, what was your thought about it? And everybody says, you leave them. Yeah. And then after you experienced betrayal, what actually happened? 
you tried to save the relationship. Yeah. Or at, at best, you're confused about what to do. At best, you're confused. But honestly, most people, if there's any way to make an attempt mm-hmm. at saving the relationship, and that doesn't always pan out, obviously. And that looks like lots, lots of different journeys for lots of different people on that. Mm-hmm. But I think that in our culture, we don't have good language. We don't know how to hold space for people to figure this out mm-hmm. and have their own process of, of figuring out even how to leave or if they should leave or if they should stay. And that that takes a lot of time to sort through because of what's happening in our bodies and because we are attached to this person. Like we don't break our attachments lightly. They, these are big, huge parts of our lives. So I think that that trying to manage all the input from the outside is really challenging for people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it was challenging for you in the middle of that. Confusing, for sure. It was a lot of different yeah. different layers looking back. And at the time, it just was all a big jumbled mess. So we need to take a quick break. And when we mm-hmm. come back, I want to ask you more about this and because you have something really interesting called the three injuries. So we'll be right back. Bills and other things to pay for don't just come bi-weekly and neither should your paycheck. The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earnin. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for unexpected doctor visits, vet bills, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, "When I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind." Download Earnin today, spelled E A R N I N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It's really helpful to the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling low energy and sluggish and coffee just wasn't giving me what I needed. Especially in these winter months, I struggle with pep in my step. And since drinking AG1, I felt more energized and focused. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. Because aging is a part of life that we all have to deal with, but I don't think it should prevent me from doing the things I love, like going on long hikes with my dog. I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a longtime partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. You talk about something called the three injuries that individuals going through betrayal experience. So can you tell us about those? Every betrayed partner goes through these three different injuries. And the first one is the attachment injury. And we've touched on that a little bit, talking about this betrayal bind that people end up in. I mean, the attachment injury is really the damage to your sense of safe connection to your partner. And what we don't understand about that often is that our sense of safe connection to our partner is also what makes us feel safe in the world. It's what lets us go out into the world and take risks and go be who we are in our careers and our hobbies and our passions. And we have a safe base to come back to. So the attachment injury that everybody experienced, it really rocks their whole world and their whole sense of self when they lose that safe bond. So that's the first injury. 
The second injury is the emotional and psychological injury. And this has to do with the fact that cheating always comes with lying. Mm-hmm. So whenever you are dealing with somebody who is cheating, it's in secret. Yeah. You know, they they are hiding it. It's a whole big secret. And often they're definitely lying about it. But there's also usually an additional layer of gaslighting that comes on with that, where they are really manipulating your reality and interfering with your ability to perceive reality accurately. And that creates, of course, huge trust issues with the partner, but it also affects your trust in yourself and in other people. Like it kind of starts to feel like, okay, I didn't know this about them and they've been lying to me. So who else is lying to me? Mm -hmm. Is everybody like this in the world? You know, so it really undermines your sense of safety and trust in a really larger way than just the relationship. And then the third injury is the sexual injury. And the sexual injury has to do with the fact that betrayal, sexual betrayal is sexual in nature. It impacts, for betrayed partners, it impacts their sense of their own sexuality really significantly. Often the betrayal immediately makes them question their own desirability. It affects body image tremendously. It affects their sense of who they are sexually. And is that okay? Is that, you know, what's going on there? So they end up having a lot of questions and uh, sexual insecurity come on board for them, not to mention then having to deal with, if you are trying to heal your relationship and you are trying to re-engage sexually with the cheating partner, dealing with the images that are flashing in, you know, all this intrusive flashbacky stuff to the cheating partner with the other person. So there's an enormous uh, amount of stuff that goes on in the sexual injury. So every betrayed partner is dealing with all three of those injuries and they overlap. They're not discreet and impact one another and exacerbate one another. Now now that you're breaking all of this down, I've experienced all three of those, especially that last one. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm guessing that it's it's gender specific, you know, men who have felt who've been betrayed by their partners face one set of kind of specific injuries, as you call them. And, and you know, for women, in my experience, I, I felt all of that. And definitely, I think because as women, we're socially conditioned to understand that a lot of our value is wrapped up in our appearance and our body and our sexual desirability, mm-hmm. that just will haunt you, you know, like comparing uh, yourself a to good word. person. It's and a good word, haunt. Yeah. It just can really stick around. And so can, can you go more specifically into the gaslighting why do individuals who are cheating, why, in your professional opinion, why do they gaslight their partners? So I think there's a couple of things happening. I think when people who when people are cheating, they're often operating outside of their own value system. Mm-hmm. So the research shows that most people who are cheating believe cheating is wrong. Mm-hmm. So they're they're operating outside of their value system. And in order to go outside their value system, they have to tell themselves the whole story about why it's okay for them to do that. Yeah. And often that story involves making the person they're betraying wrong. Or sometimes even their fault. <laughs> oh, that's what, yes, exactly. So in order to hurt this person, I have to make it their fault that I am doing this. Mm-hmm. I have to think about all the things that bug me about them. And here's the thing, we're all imperfect people. We're all, so there's plenty to find in any relationship. There's plenty to find that you don't like about your partner. <laughs> you know, everybody's dealing with, with imperfect people. So I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to make it bigger. I'm going to blow it up and exacerbate it. I'm going to pick fights with my partner. I'm going to manufacture conflict all so that I can then in my own mind, blame them for what I'm doing and justify that it's okay. What I'm doing is okay. And so once you've got that kind of, I call that kind of like a mental scaffolding that the cheater builds. Mm -hmm. Once you've got that in place, then it's very easy to turn that on the betrayed partner. And especially if the betrayed partner starts to get wind of what's happening, they start to feel like something is wrong in their relationship. Mm -hmm. They start to feel like something's not right here. Now I'm asking questions. Now I'm probing. Now I'm looking at things. So now the cheating partner feels like I've got to protect my secret. I've got this double life going on over here. I've got this secret life going on. I need to protect it. And the way that I'm going to protect that is I am going to tell 
my betrayed partner that they are crazy, that they have issues, that no, they didn't see that. No, that text doesn't mean that. They're just super sensitive about what they just saw. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to delete the text and say, it was not ever even there. Mm -hmm. You never saw it. Why are you making that up? So the gaslighting goes beyond just lying. You know, lying is, I was with the affair partner when I was at work. Gaslighting is, I deleted that text and then I told you that you never saw it. Mm -hmm. Gaslighting is when we make somebody feel like they can't trust their five senses and they can't trust their own perception of reality. And the cheating partner is actively trying to undermine that so that they hide their behavior, so that they keep their behavior hidden and so that they don't have to feel their own guilt, shame, or remorse about Mm -hmm. their behavior. When I had my experience, it was 2006. So this was before the term gaslighting was, you know, part of our sort of vernacular. And so I just looked at it as, you know, he was lying, but also I very much knew that the way I described it is like, he made me feel like I was going nuts. And there was one point where we were fighting about it and I was accusing him of having an affair and he, you know, was denying it, denying it vehemently and the gaslighting. And I paused and I remember saying, it's either happening or you are the unluckiest man in the world because it sure as shit looks like you are. And years later, when I heard the term and was like, oh, I, you know, there's a term for it. And I, I wasn't going mm-hmm. crazy. And I was actually right the whole time. First of all, that validation is is such a mixed bag of emotions because it's like the 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 immense relief that you feel of like, oh, I was right the whole time and just the vindication of it, but also the reality of like, oh, I was right the whole time. It actually was happening behind my back. And in my case, it was for seven months. I think too, and correct me if I'm wrong, the fo- as the person who's being betrayed, the focus gets to be pulled off of the other person who's doing the cheating and onto the person who's questioning their own reality. And the focus became on me and my mental health and my mental issues. And then I started to believe him and think, maybe I am going crazy. Maybe I am making all of this up. Like maybe he's right when he says like, how could you ever think I would do this to you? That was the one. Right. You have trust issues because of your family of origin. Right. You know, your dad cheated on your mom. And so now this is just your trust issues about that. So yes, you're you're describing it perfectly because it is this like attacking, turning it on you and attacking you and your mental health, your perception of reality. I've had, I wish that I'd only heard this story once, but I've heard this story multiple times, which is that the person who's having the affair or cheating accuses the other person of having the affair. I was wondering if that's where it was going because that happened to me too. And And that has happened to the point where I have had clients tell me they thought that they maybe had mm-hmm. like dissociative identity disorder and multiple person and like another personality that was having an affair. I mean, they got or so sleepwalking or something. Around, yeah. Yeah. So turned around in their own reality because the cheating partner was so adamant and vehement and crying tears about the way they had been betrayed that it undermined the other person's reality that severely. Because you want so to I believe think, that other person. Because like you're saying, like it's your primary it, relationship. This is your person. It is your primary relationship. And I think that double-edged sword you were talking about earlier about feels vindicated when you find out, okay, I was right about this. I'm mm-hmm. not going nuts. I'm not crazy. But it's also this horrid, horrid experience of, oh my word, mm-hmm. like this person did that to me. They didn't just lie to me. They have like actively tried to make me feel like I am crazy and I am not in touch with reality. And they have accused me of horrible things. Mm -hmm. That is such a hard realization to come into that your partner could do that to you. And often that piece is even harder than the cheating for a lot of betrayed partners to, it's more painful in some ways, because it's just so shocking mm-hmm. that someone that you love and has said they love you and have your back could do that to you. Yeah. In my experience, it was, I think it was equally as, as painful. And just, I remember that feeling of, of, tr- of racking my brain thinking, cause I, w- I'm also like just naturally a flirtatious person. So that got thrown in my face, you mm-hmm. know, and like, oh, it, it's actually you, you're the one. And it just was, it was such a mind-bending 
it was like the matrix meets you know, like, like <laughs> what is this reality that I'm in? And yes. oh yeah, like the final. And I remember the day that I found out in my case, I had called his cell phone because we were going to have dinner the next day for Valentine's Day. And I called his cell phone to to uh, make plans, just logistics. And she answered because he was in the shower. And mm. he'd also been lying to her too. So he'd been mm-hmm. legitimately living a double life and lying to her about that we were getting divorced and I just wasn't handling it very well. That's why we were still living together. The The moment I found out, I had a dissociative moment because I was standing in a Barnes and Noble when I made the phone call, I walked out into the parking lot and I remember having those thoughts of, you know, for people listening, like, have you ever had that moment where, where kind of time slows down and you're Mm -hmm. almost like watching it from the outside, like a movie. And I remember thinking to myself, shouldn't I be crying right now? Almost like, like the script said, you know, like woman bursts Mm -hmm. into tears. And I, and I just started laughing hysterically, just laughing hysterically, like threw my head back, almost maniacal. People watching were probably like, this woman is losing her mind. And I felt like I was. And part of why I was laughing was because I was like, oh my God, I was fucking right. I was right. And, and just didn't know. And then after that, it just kind of all hell broke loose and, and drama happened, which I won't get into, but I, before we take a break, I want to, I want to go into solution and can you, can you talk to us about what, I mean, gosh, where do we even start? Like, can you first, like, is there a glimmer of hope? Do people come back from this? <laughs> That's what the listeners want to know. <laughs> can yes, you come back? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, absolutely. So, and I would say, I always, I would say this, there's hope for relationships you can heal things that you would be shocked at. I just, I literally have just come off our uh, retreat with our couples mastermind that we have. We did four days out on a farm, out on a horse farm and did therapy work. And these couples are dealing with 30 and 40 year histories of massive amounts of acting out. And they are all in it together and working on the relationship. And they're all, of course, in different stages with that. But as we were wrapping up, one of the women said, as we were kind of going around the circle and talking about the weekend, one of the women said, if you told me that I, this could that I could be here after I discovered betrayal and we were in the early, I would never believe that this was possible. Mm-hmm. So I just want to offer that to those who are trying to heal your relationship, that that, that is absolutely possible. The deciding factor is, are you both in it 100%? Because you do have to be both 100% in it, committed to it, putting your energy into it. If one person is dragging the other one, it doesn't work. However, not everybody's partner is in it with them. (laughs) And so what I want to say is, so sometimes there's enormous healing and hope for couples, but there's always, always healing available for you as the betrayed partner. Your relationship may not be salvageable, but you can absolutely heal from betrayal and move into the rest of your life and thrive and flourish afterward. This is not something that you need to think, this is going to mark me for the rest of my life. Yeah. That is not something that um, has to be that way. You can heal from that. I want to circle back and ask you about that in in a minute, but I'm curious because, you know, the term narcissist gets thrown around a lot. And, you know, I've, I've mm-hmm. come to find out like, well, not everyone, sometimes they're just like entitled assholes, you know, like <laughs> that were raised in a culture, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I, I don't mean to stereotype, but I think a lot of, mm-hmm. um, and I know a lot of women cheat too, but in terms of, you know, my listeners, uh, they're mostly women. And, and if they have experienced it, it's usually at the hands of a, of a male partner. How do you, I mean, I don't I don't know if there's some kind of like textbook checklist that you have, but like how does someone know if their partner is truly in it or how do you as an expert know or if they're just kind of like checking the boxes to be able to stay in a convenient relationship? Like do we ever know mm-hmm. or are there some telltale signs that you look for? No, you you can you do know. And here's how you know, we actually just had a big conversation about this in the coaching program. So, you know because you are not the energy behind your partner's work. So as long as you as a betrayed partner feel like I have to be like, hey, I really need you to be in therapy. Why aren't you going to your therapy appointment? Hey, we need Mm. to make a couple therapy appointment. Hey, why aren't you doing your homework? Why aren't you doing your 12-step stuff? Hey, Mm. why aren't you like, hey, I need to have transparency on the phone. Hey, why'd you uh, change your password and not tell me? 
you know, as long as you are in that role where it is your energy driving everything forward, managing the therapy, mm-hmm. then your partner is not fully committed. Now, yeah. I want to just give one caveat to that. At the beginning of things, often you do have to be the energy. Because at the very beginning, you have to basically say, this is what I expect and this is what I will not tolerate. Because cheating partner, I often say this, the cheating partner will put you through whatever you will tolerate. So you do at the beginning have to use your energy to drive drive both of you into healing and recovery and say, this is what I'm willing willing to do and this is what I will not tolerate. And if you want any chance of me staying in this relationship to do repair with you, this is what needs to happen. So you do have to do that at the beginning. Now, not only are you setting boundaries in terms of the relationship, like here's what I will and will, you know, just in case we never talked about it ahead of time, here's what I will and will not tolerate in our relationship. And also here's what I expect of you in terms of our therapy in order. In ter- yeah. In terms of our therapy, our healing, our repair, like we have to repair this. Yeah. Repairing betrayal is a whole big bunch of work. And so both people have to be really invested in that. So you might, as a betrayed partner, have to use a lot of your energy at the beginning to say, here's what I expect. And I'm holding the line on that. I'm not lowering my expectations because you're telling me I don't need that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm never, I'm sorry. And so I'm never going to do it again. Well, don't believe that, mm-hmm. you know, because treatment is needed. Yeah. So you do have to use your energy to hold the line. But once you're in treatment together, once you're doing the things, your partner has to take over and he has to be his own, he or she has to be their own motivating. It has to come out of their own commitment to the relationship and to repairing the damage they have caused. And it can't come from you constantly going behind them and kicking their butt mm-hmm. <laughs> and moving them along. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the ways you tell if your partner is really in it with you and not just checking the box, is you can see it. You can see their commitment. You can see their willingness. You can see them in their behavior making the changes that you need to see. And it's you're looking for consistency over time. Consistency over time. Okay. All right. We're going to take one more break. When we get back, I want to dive a little bit more into the recovery piece. Be right back. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash noise. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. 
Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, we were talking before the break about the the recovery and I, and can you tell us like what what are some typical sort of exercises or topic conversations that happen especially in the beginning? So in the beginning of treatment, in the beginning yes. of yeah, recovery in the beginning of treatment, from- like when when someone comes to you and they've had this experience, whether it was like an affair or like you were saying, like and I guess maybe the question is like, is it different if you're talking about a couple who if it's like a chronic? Yeah, so I would say. The very first thing you have to do is you have to figure out, is this an affair? Is this a couple affairs? Is this, you know, something that it would be considered traditional infidelity? Or is this a pattern of compulsive sexual behavior, sexual addiction, problematic? It has many names out there in the world, but is this something compulsive, basically? Is this a pattern of um, compulsive addictive behavior? Treatment for those two things is completely different. So you have to figure that out at the beginning. And that can be challenging because sometimes your partner is, um, the cheating partner is just dripping out a little bit. Yeah, they're not being completely truthful. And it takes a while for the whole big story to come out and you just start to realize, oh, there's more going on here. Mm -hmm. Anytime you start to see combos of behavior, like there's an affair with porn use, with massage parlors, or there's actually been three affairs, or there's actually been... Anytime you start to see that, I think you want to ask your partner to be evaluated to make sure there isn't an addictive component. Because the fact that there's more than kind of an isolated incident can signal a bigger issue, and sometimes not. So so it's no guarantee, but it's good to get them evaluated for that. Can we touch on that for a little bit, you know, the the compulsive behaviors, like where is the line drawn? And I've, I've heard a kind of mixed, a mixed bag with opinions in terms of experts of, you know, does quote unquote sexual addiction even exist? Like, especially with mm-hmm. the prevalence and, and just how mainstream pornography has become, like, what is your, can you give us your hot take on that? You know, my hot take on it is that it doesn't have anything to do with your behaviors. So I think that people get confused because they think, oh, maybe this behavior is an indicator of addiction. Mm-hmm. But that's not true. So it's not that you're watching pornography makes you an addict or that you're doing this behavior. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, does this behavior cause negative consequences in my life? And even though it causes negative consequences, I keep doing it anyway. Do I see that this behavior is something that I don't want to be doing. It's violating my value system in some way. It's hurting somebody I love. It's, and I keep doing it anyway. Is this behavior escalating over time? Am I seeing kind of started here and now I'm here and I'm here and I'm here and I'm here and I didn't really want to end up here. (laughs) And that means, okay, that might be something that's going on there. So what we're really looking for is a place where the behavior is sort of driving you rather than you driving it and making choices. And it's really kind of pushing you into things that you didn't want or causing negative consequences for you and people you love. And yet you still keep going back to it and keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's really not about your sexual behavior. It's about the the way I always say, you know, sex is like alcohol, sex is like food, sex is like money. You can use all of those things in great ways for like nourishment and play and fun. And you can become an alcoholic, a gambling addict, a food addict. You know, you can mm-hmm. use them to medicate your life, to numb out, to deal with your emotions, all those things. Yeah. So sex is no different. It can be used in both ways. Okay. Thank you for that. And uh, do you feel like couples tend to, just generally speaking, throw in the towel a little bit too early. I think I was, I think I saw like a clip or something of Esther Perel talking about how Mm. in her opinion that people throw away, you know, like a 30 year marriage based on this one behavior or, you know, like an affair when they really could have salvaged the relationship. And, you know, she was like saying, it's like, just, it's sad. It's a travesty. So what is your opinion on on that? Do you think that happens too much? I do think so. I think that some of that is our cultural 
story that we're all living in, which mm-hmm. is you leave the person that cheats on you. Yeah. And I sometimes think people don't know they have another option. Mm-hmm. They don't know that there's actually a way to repair this. There's actually a way to, and I think also some people think, oh, but I, am I going to repair it? But it's still going to be like a, I'm like in a half life in this relationship. Like I never really feel good again. And they don't realize that, no, actually you can feel really good again. I think Esther Pearl talks about this in terms of first marriage, second marriage to the same person, you know, that you're really developing a brand new relationship with them. And so that is really possible. And I think we need to have better conversations and modeling and visions of that because I don't think people realize it's possible. And a lot of marriages I think do end that could be saved if people had a different vision in front of them for what's possible. Yeah, and I think you 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 know you kind of nailed in the beginning when you said this is our cultural perception of of cheating and infidelity in a relationship. And it's interesting. I I told a little bit of my story in a TikTok a couple years ago, and it went viral. It had six point six million views. Some women, but the vast majority of men who commented and put the onus on me. You know, like what were you doing wrong in the relationship to have made your husband cheat on you? And, you know, whatever, those don't bother me as much anymore as they used to, but it points to the shame that people feel, I think, regardless of gender, who got cheated on. That shame, I think, is, in my experience, a lot of the driving factor to walk away from the relationship because you're trying to salvage any kind of dignity that you have to walk away and be like, I'm the brave one. I'm the one that has the power because I left you for betraying me. When if, because if you stay, you know, I think we often look down on people who stay as weak and a doormat. And I just, I wish that that wasn't the case. Yeah. We need a massive cultural shift on this. Mm-hmm. We need a massive cultural shift. So going back to just all these comments that were made to, to you, I do think that this is different for the, there's a gender divide on this. Mm-hmm. I do think that in our culture, if, your spouse, if your male spouse cheats on you and you're female, then the culture looks at you and says, what'd you do? What'd you do wrong? And if you're a female and you cheat on a male, the culture looks at you and says, what's wrong with you? Right. Do that to a good man. (laughs) We get to be shamed in either direction. Right. We get to bear the shame for cheating. And that has got to shift. We have got to have a cultural shift on that. And then I think you're right. We also have to have a cultural shift around this idea that because you've been cheated on and you're female, therefore something is wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And now you carry the shame. I call this carried shame, right? This is carrying the shame of the cheating for the cheating partner. The betrayed partner often carries that shame. And there is a sense of leaving is the only way I can figure out how to reclaim my dignity and my mm-hmm. self-respect. Yeah. And that is not true, but it, but it, the, but that falsehood can again feel like I don't see another option. Right. So one of the things that I work a lot with my clients on is what is the story you're telling yourself about your choice to stay? Because sometimes they are choosing to stay, but then they go into this story about I have no self respect and I have right. no dignity and I'm so weak. I let him do this to me. And I'm like, in what world did you let him do this to you? Right. So let's just look, Mm -hmm. let's just look at this belief structure and let's dismantle this belief structure Mm -hmm. because this is a toxic belief structure for everybody involved. And so there's a lot of work on that to help people shift and know actually staying for me is a choice made from my dignity and from my self-respect. And I'm expecting things in my relationship and from my partner as we rebuild and re-repair. That is some next level inner work right there. I I commend anyone who not just stays, but just does the work in order to stand in that place of your own power and your decision. Yes, yes. And here's the thing, that is the healing work. Mm -hmm. That is the healing work for betrayed partners because betrayal is such an experience of profound powerlessness. Mm -hmm. I mean, you didn't choose for this to happen to you. Like this person literally took your power away. in the relationship and took your choice away in the relationship by changing the sexual agreements without your consent. Right. So it's a powerful experience of powerlessness. And for healing for betrayed partners, so much of the healing 
is about learning how to come out of that powerlessness and really step into your empowered self. I call it operating from your personal power center Mm -hmm. and learning how to do that in the relationship where you are asking for what you need and you're using your voice effectively and powerfully in the relationship and you're setting boundaries and you're clear on your vision and you're clear on your own dignity and you're building a relationship of trust with yourself while you do that. So that is the name of that is the name of the healing game right there. The name of the healing game. And <laughs> all of those things that you just ticked <laughs> off are not easy. I'm like, oh they're not easy. They're not easy. They're not for the faint of heart. I often say that we should call our um coaching pro- we have a coaching program for braid par- for betrayed partners and it's called braving hope. But I always say we should really call it betrayal trauma boot camp. Yeah. Because it is really or at least such deep tagline. hard work. Yeah. It's such deep hard work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I have one more question. It's just, I'm just curious about your professional opinion on this because I, I, my big fat opinion is that human beings were not meant to be monogamous. Like, I just feel like, okay, if, if we were, then we would, there would be some switch that gets shut off when we decide to commit to someone to where we're not attracted to other people, like where we stop like feeling like we want to flirt with someone. Or So I've always said, I do feel like we're not meant to be monogamous. And in order to do that is such a gift to your partner and it shouldn't be taken lightly. So what is your, what is your opinion on that? I mean, just like from a biological standpoint, can you start there? I don't have like a black and white view of that. Yeah. I don't have like a, we are meant to, or we are not meant to, because I really see both pieces of it. I see how incredibly challenging it is when we are not monogamous for our attachment systems to ever feel safe and to ever find safety. So there's like a downside to that. But then there's also the issue of attraction to other partners and challenge of being in a very long-term relationship with someone. So I don't see it as a, a black and white thing and I don't see it as a, this is the truth and this is the truth. I do. Th- what I do think is that you have to be really aware of who you are and what is going to be best for you right there are going to there are people who their attachment systems could never tolerate non-monogamy mm-hmm. it would literally be a recipe for a massive anxiety disorder and those are usually like do, are you saying like like the anxious anxious attachment style or disorganized maybe it can be any attachment style oh, okay. that can kind of look at themselves and know who they are and know this would not work well for me. And then there are going to be other people who can look at that and say, actually, I think that would work well for me. And I think I could deal with that. And actually the the pluses would be bigger than the minuses for me. And for other people, the minuses are going to be bigger than the pluses. I think this is really, really about knowing yourself really honest conversations about what is good for you and not good for you. And I just don't have a, this is true for everybody Mm -hmm. view of it. That's, you know, yeah. Yeah. What I have come to realize now that I've, I've I've been calling myself a multiple award winning divorcee (laughs) (laughs) going through my second is that I need a lot of reassurance (laughs) Mm -hmm. as an anxious Attachment style who yes. seems to be yes. very attracted to avoidance. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Surprise. Yep. Yeah. I need a lot of I need a lot of reassurance in terms of affection and words and mm-hmm. all all of the, the the love languages. It's been an mm-hmm. interesting, it's an interesting journey in these two marriages and now looking, you know, retrospectively at at both of them really, but just my patterns and and you know mm-hmm. i'm i'm 48 and these 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 paths are are deep these are some deep ruts in this brain I'll tell you what michelle <laughs> those are, you know what those are, your attachment style is not a small thing it is not a small thing it's so deep because it goes all the way back to when we're so young mm-hmm. and i think it's really fantastic that you're in awareness about that yeah you know that about yourself. You know that you need that level of reassurance. You know all the things that are happening for you in your body when you're dealing with what's happening in your relationship. And so many people are unconscious about that mm-hmm. and don't know. They don't know why they are operating the way they're operating and they confound themselves, you know, and confuse themselves. So I think that awareness is the first 
first big step on the road with it. Yeah, it can, it's it, the awareness thing is I call it the point of no return and it's and I always acknowledge for my listeners that it can be a tricky place to be because you can't unsee and sometimes it feels mm-hmm. almost a little bit easier to like go through life like making not great decisions and like wondering why but when you know it and you can see it both retrospectively and prospectively you're like oh my god here here it is. And one of the things I'll just I'll just say this one last thing because it might be helpful for the listeners and and then we can close up is what I have realized, you know, I mentioned, you know, I, I I like when people tell me like, no, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here. But I think the biggest reassurance for me that has been the hardest to achieve in any kind of committed relationship is when I am vulnerable with someone, when I start to show them my whole self, like I'm not just one dimensional, like I'm three dimensional. I have complicated and and messy parts of me. And I'm going to show you a little bit of it. What do you think when they, you know, in John Gottman's work, he calls it, you know, turning towards or or turning away. Mm -hmm. And we have these bids for connection. When my partner turns away, when, you know, when they don't show up and, you know, when I'm vulnerable and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of like bear witness and quote unquote, hold space. That for me is the minute I'm like, Oh, you're here. I am again. <laughs> you're leaving me. <laughs> like, this is, and it feels like a like a little betrayal. Like a, like a you just left yes. me. And yes. I, I I say that because it's it's not a small thing. Like it, I'm realizing now, it's like oh that's 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 a big wound. Yeah, and usually that sense of so I I call that like you're experiencing relational disconnection in that moment. And it's an old you wound made, for me. You from made my a reach. You made a reach. Yeah. Your partner in some way didn't reach back or moved away even. Mm-hmm. There's a miss. There's a miss there. That's going to scare you. Oh, yeah. It's red in your body as scary. Mm-hmm. And if it goes back to the childhood wound, it can actually spark abandonment terror. It can spark really deep fear. Like if you had a lot of abandonment in your childhood, then I I often talk to my clients about abandonment terror. And for some clients, if that abandonment was really, really young and they had uh trauma really, really it's like almost an annihilation terror. Oh. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna cease to exist here in this moment of disconnection. And these are like often small moments in our relationship that are big moments. Right. Because they make us feel like oh, I can't really count on you. You're not going to really be there. And sometimes the other partner doesn't even know they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And then when it scares us, we get scary. Right. And then we scare them back and then they get mm-hmm. scarier. And now we're just in this awful cycle. Now you're cycle. just in a haunted house. <laughs> now we're just in an awful cycle together where we're both just freaked out about the fact that we don't think the other person can be there for us. Right. And Yeah. Lots of people go. I mean, I think every relationship has these moments and these patterns in them. And growth is figuring out how to how to work through that together and talk about it and admit it and yeah, talk about it, admit it, and change it. Mm -hmm. You know, start to figure out how do we how do we work with these places where we miss each other and turn them around. Like we talk with our couples a lot about do overs, Mm -hmm. like asking for asking for a do over with your partner. You know. Yeah, mm-hmm. we need to close up and I could talk to you about this forever, but I think Abandonment Terror, a memoir is going to be my next book. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> there you that, go. that term, I was like, oh, that hit me in the face. So tell people yeah. where they can go to learn more about you and your your um, betrayal boot camp and, and all of those things. <laughs> all right. So you can go to michellemays.com and on there you'll find all the things, but you'll find information about my book that's out, The Betrayal Bind how to heal when the person you love the most has hurt you the worst and about our coaching program for betrayed partners called Braving Hope. Yes. And you come so highly recommended by my dear friend and colleague, Kate Anthony. So we have stamp stamp of approval there. And of course, all those links will be in the show notes. We didn't even get to your book. I'm going to have to have you on again. Uh, thank you listeners for being here. I'm so grateful for your time. I know that uh, you have many choices when it comes to podcasts and I appreciate that you come and spend your time with me and my guests. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I would be so incredibly grateful if you haven't done so already, if you could leave a review of this podcast 
on Apple Podcasts. Super easy if you already listen to your shows over there. Um, But if you don't, or maybe you have the app on your phone, but you listen to the show on a different app, if you could leave a review for this show, it matters so much. I wish I could express how much it matters. I also wish that it didn't matter so much, but alas, it does. So if you haven't already, please go review and rate the show. It would mean so much to me. And thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing day. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.